Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Revo, good to see you guys. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for worshiping with us uh, today. We're in the middle of this series that we're calling um, Body Parts. Uh, We're looking at how individuals that are in a room like this are just individual parts of a larger body that we call the church. Uh, Scripture talks about how each person within the body has a specific part, a specific role to play, something that is extremely important to where if you're not here, it makes everyone suffer. If we don't step up and say, all right, this is what God has done for me, this is what he's given me, this is what he's called me to do. If we don't fulfill that role, then not only do we hurt ourselves as individual parts, but we end up hurting the body as a whole as well. And so it's been fun just to kind of journey through this, and uh, we're going to talk this morning, keeping on that same line. Um, I, uh, a couple of years ago, a Tim McGraw song came out, and I'm usually anti-country music, um, but this one was like a crossover song, so it was, it was so popular, it was playing on Top 40 radio as well. And the, the name of it was, Live Like You Were Dying. And I would sing it, but then you would feel like you were dying this morning. And so <clears throat> I will just explain some of the words uh, to you. Um, so it's written from the perspective of a guy that just got some bad news. Um, a doctor's appointment turned bad, and he was not uh, given very much time to live. And so this bad news, this understanding that his life is very short, actually changed the way that he began to live his life. It changed his actions. It changed his speech. It changed who he hung out with. It changed what they said to this person. It just, just totally altered his life. And, and some of the lyrics, that, that, that guy came up to him and said, you know, so what, how are you taking it? What are you doing? You, you, hit, you get hit with bad news like this that you only have a short period of time to live. What did you do? And um, it, it says, well, he went skydiving. Um, Rocky Mountain Climbing. Uh, He rode on a bull, like a rodeo bull, um, named Fu Manchu, and he stayed on it for 2.7 seconds. Um, So he did some things, but then he goes a little bit deeper. He says, "I, I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, I gave forgiveness where I had been denying it. And this, this whole song is about how this one event can, can alter your life and, and how it really changed his perspective on things. It got me thinking, uh, what, what if someone told you that your life was going to soon end? Maybe a, a doctor's appointment or, or something came up and he said you had, you had maybe just days, maybe weeks to live. What would you say? How would that change your life? Would it alter who you spent your time with? What if you realize now that you only had one more conversation to have, maybe with your husband or your wife? You got, you got one more word to say to them. What would it be? What, what if you found out that, that you could only talk to your kids one more time? What, what would it be that you would share with them? What would you tell them? Or maybe your parents are getting older in age and you realize that time is drawing nigh. What are those conversations like? What would it say? Would it not change how you treated that person? Would it not kind of reorganize your life in such a way that you were really careful what you said and what you did? Would it not alter your attitude? 
and, and what you decided to do with yourself. I, I think it would, for me, and we're going to pick up a story in, in John chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, or you can open up your app, or, or the words will be on the screen. We're, we're going we're gonna to pick up a story that is in the last week of Jesus' life. This is the Passion Week, right? And so this is, in the last week, this is Wednesday. So Palm Sunday has already happened. He rode into the city and on the donkey with the palm branches hold down. And Jesus knows he has two days to live. What if someone told you you got two days left? What would you say? Who would you spend your time with? What would you talk about? How would that alter your life? Well, we're going to get an insight. Jesus knew time was nigh. In verse 1, this is where the story picks up. He says it was... It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus realizes it's Wednesday. I've got two days left. Two days until he goes through the most bloodied, graphic death that a person could suffer. And in John chapter 13, he realizes this will be the last time that I gather these 12 disciples. These men that have followed me for three and a half years, this will be his last intimate conversation with all of them together in the same room before he is arrested the very next day and crucified two days later. What do you think Jesus said? What do you think he would have communicated, knowing that this is it, guys? This is my last chance, last conversation that we're going to have together. Like I, I'm one of these guys that believes that in Scripture, every word that Jesus said was important. Every word that Jesus said was weighty. Every word has significance and impact on our lives. But I can't help but to think that when Jesus realized he had two days left, that he chose his words very wisely. That he knew every waking moment that he had needed to be calculated. He needed to think, what do I want to say? Who do I need to say it to? And it just seems like this, 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 this idea of don't, don't mince any words. Don't waste any more time. The countdown began 48 hours and I lose my life. Jesus realizes this, and he chooses his very next words and actions very wisely. What would you do? What would you say? What would you choose to communicate in your final hours? And who would you communicate it to? We see what Jesus does in his final hours in verse 3. It said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God And was returning to God, verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So we start with a power statement here, right? In verse 3, it says, All power and authority was given to Jesus. God looked at his son and says, whatever I am, that is who you are on earth. I mean, it's it's just crystal clear. It's just all authority was in one man on earth. 
And that, like when you put that there, like that's, that's not an insignificant verse. Maybe you'll just gloss over that. The average reader would just say, oh, okay, well, no, no big deal. But you, my friends, are not the average reader. You look at that and say something's there. There's a reason why that is included in a power statement like that. When you say, this is the most important person. This, has, this person has all authority. This is God with skin on, on earth. It, it makes it really weird to read verse 4 and 5. Because when you make a power statement like verse 3, that says all power and all authority is given to me. I came from God and I'm going back to God. In my mind, this is how verse 4 and 5 should read out. So Jesus steps up and says, all right, guys, bring it in here. Let me show you the game plan for how we're going to overthrow this government. Or maybe Jesus gathers his followers and he gives them a little pep talk. And he says, all right, man, rally the troops because here's the deal. There's people out there that want to put me on the cross, but they need to realize if they're going to get me on the cross, they're going to have to cross us first. Who's with me? And like in the movie scene, the disciples are like, yeah, bring it. Like it's just going crazy. Like maybe Jesus, he has all power and authority, right? All authority was given to him, granted by God. Surely Jesus is going to roll up into the scene and give some over-the-top inspiring war cry, right? Surely he's going to lay out the game plan for how he is going to win and everybody else is going to look dumb in the process. Surely this is the time where he brings his followers together and say, you know that plan, you know that deal that I've been talking about for so long? Let me show you what it is and we're going to ride high and be the victors at the end of the day. Surely that's what's going to happen. But in verse 3, all power and authority were given to one man. And verse 4 says, in his last hours, Jesus did not give a war cry. In his last hours, Jesus did not gather everyone around and give some rousing, inspiring speech. Jesus didn't gather his followers together and try to cram theology. He didn't say, all right, guys, I know I've taught you a lot over the three and a half years, but let me give you the high points, right? Justification, sanctification, regeneration, glorification. You got this? This is going to be on the quiz, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't look at those 12 disciples and say, all right, now when I'm gone, you guys are going to be the first pastors of the New Testament church. I need to teach you some ecclesiology. You need to know how to run the church. You need to know how to grow a church. You need to know how to write a sermon series. Like, let me show you the very first one that you should do. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't give them anything. He doesn't do anything for them. He doesn't talk to them about what they're going to have to do. He doesn't give them this strategy for addressing secondary issues that pop up in a secular society, and this is how you guys are going to combat this, and these are all the right answers, and here's what you're supposed to say. No, in the very last hours before Jesus lost his life, he chose to humble himself, tie a towel around his waist, and wash his disciples' feet. Dirty, nasty feet. Men's big, dirty, nasty, stinky feet. Out of all of the things that Jesus could have done, this is what he chose to do. And when you see verse 4 and 5, you see zero ego on Jesus. There is no sense of entitlement in anything that he does. There is no arrogance. There is no sense of pride. Jesus does not pull rank. He doesn't talk about his seniority or how superior he is to everyone else. 
Another thing we don't see is Jesus reluctantly taking the robe off, putting a towel around his waist, and murmuring underneath his breath, why do I have to do this? Why didn't somebody else step up and do this? It's befuddling to me that the leader, the top dog, the big guy has to do this. Did no one else see that everyone's feet needed to be washed? This is unbelievable that I'm having to be the servant. No, that's not what Jesus said. That's not the attitude that Jesus had. In the last precious hours before Jesus gave up his life, he chose to lower himself, to humble himself as the top dog so that more people would know what this is all about. He wanted to humble himself and serve. Now, you would think, now, like, Jesus is the top dog. In, in the culture that we live in, the higher you go, you shouldn't have to be doing this anymore, right? The, the CEO doesn't have to do the dirty work. The manager doesn't have to do the work that nobody wants to do. That's for the peasants, right? That's for the guy that started this job last week. That is for the person that's on punishment right now. You make them do the lowest jobs, the jobs that no one wants to do, the jobs that no one likes to do, the jobs that just are, are just embarrassing for people to do and this is this is what Jesus did I think it's incredible that the top dog ended up taking the lowest position the one that was granted all authority and power on earth decided to remove himself from the table the irony is the man at the table that everyone else should have been bowing down before and washing his feet ends up standing and washing the feet of those that are unworthy to serve, to put these 12 disciples in front of himself. The disciples were probably embarrassed about this. <laughs> they probably sat there and think, why didn't I think of that? Shoot, man, I should have stepped up and did that. Jesus should not be doing that, but I, I mean, it's just common nature. We don't like to serve. We're not ingrained with that. Like Nobody in here wakes up in the morning and says, I'd like to know how much more of my time I can give away. Like, nobody pulls up their online banking and say, how can I give away more of my money? Like, how can I keep less and give away more to other people? We don't, we don't look at our lives and say, is there any way that I can cheat myself so that I can help others more? Like, Is there any way that I can get smaller, that I can have less, that I can be less significant so that I can help others. That's just not how we're born. That's just not what's ingrained in us. And I think that's even why this scene is so much more powerful. Because it's unnatural. It's not what we would do. It's not what we were taught. But the guy at the very top gets low. The one with all power and authority says, I'll humble myself and do the job that no one wants to do to teach you what this is all about, to serve those that are around me. I love this. Just like side note about Jesus, like I love this about Jesus. Jesus always led by example. Jesus never looks at his followers and say, now I'm not willing to do this, but you need to. I don't want to humble myself, but you should. I don't want to serve others, but that needs to be a mark of your life. No, Jesus always led by example. Jesus never calls his followers to do something that he wasn't willing to do or didn't already do in Scripture. And just another great example of the Savior of the world tying a towel around his waist and saying, let me show you what this life is all about. Let me show you what I've called you to do. Verse 6, as Jesus is going around to every disciple at the table, he finally gets to Simon Peter. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to them, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Peter. (laughs) Oh, foot in his mouth, Peter, right? Oh, walking on water, Peter, one minute and denying Jesus the next minute, Peter. Oh, Peter, always got to say something. Can't ever just sit down and listen, Peter. Here he is. Everybody's just letting Jesus do his thing, and all of a sudden, Peter's got to say something. Man, I, I, I hate to admit this, but like I identify with Peter more than any of the other disciples. And Peter looks at Jesus, and obviously he has no clue what Jesus is doing. Because he thinks Jesus is simply just washing the dirt off of people's feet. And so Peter initially says, like, I'm good. My feet aren't that dirty. You're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus says, no, I'm going to need to wash your feet. If you're going to roll with me, I'm going to need to wash your feet. And then Peter does a complete 180. He says, all right, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then uh, can I just let you know, like, I haven't washed my hair in a week. Can you wash my hair too? And uh, like I, I got some gel in my bag, and I need to put it in there, but I don't need to wash my hair first. And uh, I don't, Jesus, I don't know. You've been with us, but you know what it's like to walk around in the Middle East in the middle of the desert in the middle of the summer. Like I feel like our motto is back sweat when we hang out with you, Jesus. So can you help me out a little bit with my, with my back as well? And, uh, you know, come to find out, Jesus, I've been meaning to tell you about this, but about a week ago I ran out of deodorant. And here's the deal. I'm glad you're talking about service and putting others in front of yourself because I asked John, John, I asked John if I could borrow his deodorant. And he freaked out, man. He's like, I'm not giving you a swipe of my deodorant. And I'm saying, John, are you listening? See, Jesus says put others in front of yourself. You should let me have some of that deodorant. So Jesus, he didn't give me a deodorant. I didn't have any more. Can you wash underneath my arms as well? Like, can you just wash my whole body? And Jesus is like, Peter, you have no clue what we're doing. You have no clue what we're talking about. Peter was convinced that Jesus was simply doing an outward washing, but Jesus was symbolizing something so much more. I think you and I, many times, we view service the same way as Peter. We have no idea what it's all about. If you've been rolling at Revo for very long, you've heard multiple staff members come up on this stage and urge you to serve provide opportunities for you to say yes and serve. Man, we talk about our world upstairs, our kids ministry, and we say, hey, we, we're, we're asking people to come up and serve and, and go upstairs and work in our world. We have strike force, all of this that gets set up, the drape, the pipe, the, the chairs, the instruments, the lighting, the sound, everything gets set up. People come really early in the morning and stay really late in the afternoon to set this up and tear this down, and we invite you to be a part of that. We have a guest services team that brews coffee and parks cars and and helps hold the doors and helps people find their way in when they're first-time guests and helps get people connected. And we have a a tech and creative team that does all of our website and makes all the lights turn on and the sound. But here's what happens. Here's where we miss it. So many people will will see a pastor or a staff member or a volunteer stand on stage and, and we'll say something like, we're asking you to volunteer and serve in our world, in our kids' ministry. And this is what people hear. Will you go upstairs for an hour and babysit kids for free? That's what we think, right? And nobody wants to do that. 
when we say guest services, we think tasks. Like, will you show up 25 minutes early so you can brew the coffee for everybody? And people say, they, they hear that is, will you come early and make me a cup of coffee? We invite people to be a part of Strike Force, and what they hear is, will you show up at 6.30 and help us load the U-Haul up, and will you go home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon after we've broken everything down? Sometimes when we ask about the creative team and, and the production team, what, what we say is, would you like to be a part of the production team? But what you hear is, will you go back there and push lights and, and push buttons and, and do knobs and stuff? Here's the deal. I am not close enough with you to ask you to babysit my kids for free for an hour. I am not big enough of a deal for me to get you to come in early and fix my coffee for me. I don't need anybody to hold the door for me. I'm not asking you to come back there and manipulate the lights in such a way that it makes me look taller and skinnier on stage. <laughs> that is actually what I am asking from you guys back there, but that is beside the point. If we could just get on it, man, just make it happen. Every other opportunity of service is not about me. Peter looked at Jesus and said, is it about the dirt? on the feet? Is it just about the task of you washing off? And I'm here to tell you, man, I'm not asking you to come in here and babysit kids. Here is what I'm asking you to do. Would you serve and give of your time in such a way that you can impact the next generation with the message of Jesus? I don't know you well enough to ask you to babysit kids, but I will unapologetically stand on this stage and say, will you give of yourself in a way that is bigger than you, that will ensure that more people know the gospel and kids from three years old to fifth grade can come into a relationship with Jesus? I'm not scared to ask you that. I'm not scared to plead with you. I'm scared, I'm just embarrassed to ask you to come and make coffee a couple of minutes early, but I'm not afraid to ask you to come and hold a door so that someone can come in and feel welcomed and come and sit down in this room and hear the gospel for the very first time and give their life to Jesus. Like, look, it may be a drag for you to set these chairs up, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm OCD about these chairs. I'm going to make you set them up in a very straight line, the same line every time. But did you know that it's more than that? Did you know that by bringing in a chair and setting it up, you're providing someone a literal seat for them to sit in so that they can hear the word of God and let it transform their life? That's what I'm asking you to do. Jesus isn't cleaning feet. He's showing people what service is all about. He says, man, don't get so caught up in the task that you forget the mission. And the mission that Jesus lays out is we will serve those around us. As a part of a local church, individuals will join a body and serve those around them so that more people can know who Jesus is. So that an, a simple act of service on your behalf can be just one more step in someone's journey with Jesus, whether it's the first step or the last step. I will ask you every week to invest your life in something as urgent and important and significant as that and I will never apologize for it. A requirement of our membership here at Rio is that you serve. That's how important it is. Where do we get that from? Jesus. What did he do in the last two days of his life? Served. 
What did he do even when he shouldn't have been the one doing it, even though when he was the top dog, even though he didn't have time to do it, even though he could have been doing a thousand other things, he took the robe off and tied the towel on and got low to serve the people that were around him. Hey, don't don't get mixed up. This is not a task I'm inviting you to accomplish. This is a mission that we're inviting you to be a part of. Jesus explains very clearly to his disciples, hey, I want to entrust you with the mission of the church. In, 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 In a few short days, you will be running the first New Testament church. And here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to teach. Here's the story that I want you to tell of the last time that you hang out with Jesus and what he said and what he did. It's so much more than a task. Service is about accomplishing the mission that God has called us to through the setting of the local church. So if you serve in our world, you're not babysitting. If you're in guest services, I'm not asking you to make coffee. I'm asking you to invest your life in something that is going to have eternal impact. Why? Jesus served us, so we serve others. It's just what we do. It's what followers of Jesus do. Verse 12 When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Pretty clear, huh? Jesus said, I served you, now you serve others. I gave you the example to follow. I didn't tell you, I showed you. Now you go and do that for others. He said, I washed your feet, I served you, now you wash others' feet. You serve others. Guys, that's what it's all about. Last two days of my life, and this is what I want to choose to share with you. Tell me that's not weighty. Tell me that's not loaded with significance that Jesus would choose to do this. Here's the deal. All of us that are followers of Jesus in this room are called to tie the towel around our waist and serve others. Paul references this very passage in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Quite possibly the most difficult verse in the entirety of Scripture. You want to know why? Because we aren't wired like that. We are trained to look out for ourselves. We are trained to make sure that we are taken care of first. We have defense mechanisms in our lives that are designed to protect us, to take care of us, to cater to us. And here, Paul says, remember that story of Jesus in John 13? Remove all selfish ambition and vain conceit and put others in front of yourself. Hey, be like Jesus and go low. Humble yourself, not serving yourself, not doing what's best for you, not dominating all of your resources and all of your time just focus on you. Pull a Jesus move and go low. Humble yourself and serve others. I want to give you a a next step this morning. man. I hope in every one of my sermons, we we don't just teach the Bible, but we say, so now what? 
So, now, so what do we do, man? We hear, hear a great story of Jesus serving his disciples. So what does that mean for me? What is, what is my next step? I want to I lay that, that out for you. Um, I want to I give you a challenge. I, I guess what I'm going to call the one-hour challenge. All right, so one-hour challenge is what I'm going to call it. And, and here's the deal. I know that not everybody is going to be willing to take their next step with Jesus. Not everybody's going to be willing to do that. So here's what I did. I said, let, let's take all of the six services on the two campuses that Revo Church does. Let's take half of that. Let's take 200 people. What if 200 people took the one-hour challenge? Here's the challenge. Would you be willing to serve one hour a week? One hour a week for a year. Here's what happened. I broke it down. If, if we serve 200 people, were to serve one hour a week for an entire year, that would be 10,400 hours. You put them all together, that's 260 straight weeks. If 200 people decided they would give of themselves just one hour a week, that would be just like Revo Church hiring a full-time employee that worked 40 hours a week for five years. If 200 people would step up. Now, you may be saying, like, Nathan, an hour a week, like, that's not a big deal, man. Like, if, if I didn't do an hour a week, nobody's going to notice. It's not going to make an impact. Like, I'm just, it's not that significant, and I, I would agree with you somewhat. And that's why it's so important to understand the concept of this series. One individual, one part giving one hour may not seem like very much. But when individuals take one hour and they join together as a part of a body, we can accomplish something incredible together. Your one act, your one hour, your one gift may not seem like a big deal, but Scripture says when you pair it with other people that are moving in the same direction, that are willing to use their gifts for the glory of God and for the renown of the name of Jesus, then something big happens. Hey, Revo Church's vision is to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. Do you understand that if 200 people took a one-hour challenge, that we would dominate this city with the gospel? Like, we would spark something incredible if we took it seriously. And we decided that we were going to give one hour, just one hour a week, serving, lowering ourselves, humbling ourselves, and putting others and their interests before us. Think of the impact that that would have. Think of the lives that would be changed as a result of that. A pastor once told me this. He said, Nathan, you'll never be more like Jesus than when you're serving. Not when you're giving, not when you're doing, not when you're attending a worship service, not when you're singing or reading the Bible. You will never be more like Jesus than when you're serving. And the more I think about that, the more I agree. Two hours, one night, with two days left in his life, Jesus stands up from the table, takes the robe off, ties a towel around his waist and said, I will humble myself and I will serve those around me. And he closes out the verse, says, now that I've served you, now you go serve others. We serve because Jesus served.